If you would, please turn to the book of Leviticus. And we are going to look at Leviticus chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 16 in terms of the context of our message this morning. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Listen to the holy, infallible word of God. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as the food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, You may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Now, if you would, to our text in Mark. I know in some ways a long time coming. (laughs) But in terms of finishing this section, in Mark chapter 9, our third message on this section, I want to read for you verse 49 and 50, 49 and 50 of Mark chapter 9. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask that you would be with us this day in terms of of your covenant and your word unto us in Christ. We ask, O Lord, as well, that we would see the richness of the presence of the Spirit in union with Jesus Christ. May our lives, may our lives reflect the walking in the spirit of the living God in which Christ 
is the one who walks with us. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever ran or exercised so intently that the sweat poured across your body? Perhaps you worked so hard in the yard or in a job that the sweat flowed down your face and you tasted the sweat and said to yourself, it tastes kind of salty. So does Jesus have in mind here that we need to be working so hard that our sweat is drenched with a salty flavor? Is this what we mean by being, in terms of the title of the message today, to be a salty Christian? Not quite. After all, verses 42 through 48 is a very sobering confrontation of critical self-analysis and self-examination as Christ presents his view of serious sin. As Christ addresses and trains his disciples, he has become extremely direct about the subject of sin in relationship to others as well as to our lives. Are not these two issues of sin crucial for the early life of Christ's church and for our personal lives as well? Congregation, concerning our actions to others, we must not cause a fellow believer to sin, verse 42. Concerning our own personal lives, we must refrain from allowing our sinful hearts to first blame an innocent person for our own sin, the hand illustration to run towards evil and participate in sin, the feet illustration by Christ, to fix our minds upon our own pride and authority, the I. Concerning our own personal lives, Christ is direct. He does not beat around the bush. Such actions deserve hell and the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die. Even so, in his graphic words about the accountability of our souls in the church and as individual believers, Christ provided a ray of hope In his description, his ray of hope is found in the phrase, it is better for you to enter life, verse 43 and verse 45. Consummated, consummated in the phrase, it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God, verse 47. Christ's encouraging words should be clear. It is better to enter 
eternal life and the kingdom of God through repentance and faith in Christ than to live in the constant state and pursuit of sin which receives eternal judgment. But as we hear Christ's words in verses 42 through 48, are those positive phrases about eternal life and the kingdom of God really making an oppression upon these Christ's disciples? Based on the flow of Mark's gospel as we have seen We are confident that the disciples are still having a difficult time understanding the purpose and the identity of Jesus Christ. And this is most likely not being helped by Christ's use of metaphors for the seriousness of sin. Hand, foot, eye. Now, as he closes out his immediate discussion, he keeps using a metaphor, salt. The term salt is referenced in these two verses that we read in Mark by Christ himself six times. Furthermore, these two verses seem to be dominated by a positive meaning from our Lord, salt is good. (laughs) Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. The meaning and placement of Christ's words in this context has been quite perplexing to biblical scholars over the centuries. However, once again, congregation, if we just keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon the word salt in the history of revelation and the way salt was understood in the ancient world, there are some definite meanings here for us to understand Christ's words as he ministers, trains his disciples. Simply put, Jesus is speaking here of his redemption, his union, fellowship with his people, and the effect that his redemption is to have upon the life of his church and those who are true believers. Let me ask you, are your eyes and hearts open to listen to these two verses for your own spiritual enrichment and walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. This verse This small brief verse contains a thesis with respect to Old Testament revelation pointing us to our beloved Savior. Why did we read from Leviticus this morning? 
Did you notice that for the grain offering to be a pleasing aroma unto the Lord, it must be seasoned with salt? Leviticus 2, 12 and 13. In fact, the salt is so important to the offering that the priests are strongly told, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from the grain offering. Verse 13 of Leviticus 2. How many of us realized that this morning? <laughs> that salt modified, modifies and serves the covenant. Salt is a crucial ingredient in the priestly duties of God's covenant with his people. So what's going on here? First, probably all of us are aware that throughout Israel and the ancient world, up and through and in terms of the era of the New Testament, salt was a preservative upon food elements. Hence, when applied to the grain offering, it is demonstrating God's faithfulness to his covenant oaths and vows to preserve his people in his grace, in his mercy, and in his love. If salt is not added, you forfeit the perseverance of God's oath and vow of covenant in redeeming his children. Second, since the perseverance of God's oath and vow of covenant is grounded in the coming of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, the grain offering is pointing us to Christ's person. His person. The grain is to be crushed into fine flour without any addition of leaven or yeast. The addition of leaven or yeast represents sin in the Levitical order. Since Christ as the final fulfillment of the grain offering is sinless. Sinless. No leaven or yeast is ever to be added to the grain offering. All of us here this morning knows Christ's own words, which testify to his own fulfillment of the grain offering. Not so much stated here in Mark's gospel, but recorded in John's gospel when Christ declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. Third, we are told in Leviticus that the priests are to roast. They are to burn the grain offering with fire. Chapter 2 of Leviticus, verses 14 and 16. Fire represents the purification of the offering. The purification of the offering. Christ comes into the world as the purified grain offering. 
the bread of life. And he brings the fire of purification for the sins of his people, securing and assuring his people that they are purified in him from sin. Congregation, please focus once again on Christ's statement in Mark 9, 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. If you go back to Mark's edition of Christ's baptism, you will notice that Mark mentions that Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 1 verse 8. Mark does not add the word fire. That is that Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire as Matthew does in his gospel, Matthew 3 verse 11. Hence, Mark is essentially recording here, here in verse 49, Christ's reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Christ as the fulfillment of the grain offering, our bread of life, will send his spirit, salt, his spirit, salt, to purify. And preserve those whom the Father has eternally given to his Son. Sealed and signed in the covenant sacrament of baptism. Do you understand what Christ has secured for those who repent of their sin? And believe. In Christ's redemption as the bread of life. He has changed your heart. Through the Holy Spirit. Your heart has been purified with the fire of Christ's sacrificial grain offering on the cross. And now Christ's spirit is preserving you in his righteousness and perfection. In Christ alone. You, you are sinless. You are purified. You are preserved for the day of his final glory only through the intercession of his spirit. Romans 8, 26. Oh, oh, the salt of the covenant with your God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Church of Christ, affirm and declare the words of your Redeemer. There now in verse 50, salt is good. Salt is good. In terms of understanding the metaphor in relationship to the covenant of grace. There is no redemption of sinful souls without it. For this reason you can understand why the Lord gives further instruction to use salt on all the Levitical sacrifices by the priests that are offered. 
Leviticus 2.13. Every single sacrifice was to be given with salt as a seasoning. Each sacrifice points to God's abiding oath to preserve his people whom he has redeemed to be pure and holy in Christ through the Holy Spirit. After all, if the covenant has lost its saltiness, how would it be made salty again? In this case, it would be impossible for the covenant to recover its saltiness because God would have broken his vow, his oath of faithfulness to his own word. If the Holy Spirit leaves the covenant, it cannot be regained. The covenant oath and vow of God would be broken and our God would not be God. So in terms of God's nature of perfection and holiness, it is impossible for the Holy Spirit's activity within the covenant to lose its saltiness. But as Christ is addressing his followers in verse 50, he is speaking of salt being good as a preservative of our salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit is so good and necessary for our faith to be preserved in Christ. However, the context is that Christ is addressing his disciples about the graphic actions of sin in verses 42 through 48. The context, congregation, the context, don't lose the context here, of Christ's serious discussion about sin cannot be dismissed in verses 49 and 50. And thus, he must warn the disciples. He must warn the church and those who claim to believe in Christ not to lose our saltiness. Not to lose our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Paul adds the warning of admonishing the church not to quench or suppress the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as the life of the church goes forward, those who are leaders in Christ's church must remember that if the Holy Spirit is viewed as lost in a person's life, that person, note the Greek verb here, is directed towards the person's own activity. That person in their own strength will not be able to make their life salty again. The application of redemption in Christ is the sole activity of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, when a church disciplines an individual and puts them outside the realm of the church, only the Holy Spirit can bring them back into communion and fellowship with the church 
and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Spirit does that. So Christ commands us in the imperative, have salt in yourself. (laughs) Have salt in yourself. Augustine called this a cooperative grace between our own obedient submission to the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Paul called it walking, being led, living, keeping in step with the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit provides a living presence of Christ in your heart, then the next imperative for the life of the church and the life of the believer easily follows. Notice the text. Be at peace with one another. The two are glued together. The spirit of Christ equals peace with yourself and with others in the household of faith. Let us once again be reminded of what this means and what this looks like. We hear it. We read it. We read it again and again. But we often dismiss it out of our lives right after the giving of the benediction if it is referred to in the worship service or as you're reading your scripture in your personal devotion. You may just get up and forget all about it. What are the fruits of the Spirit? What are the fruits of Christ's spirit that characterize the Christian living in the kingdom of God, which Christ is talking about in our passage. That is, those who are living in the salt of the abiding covenant of grace in Christ. Is it not... Is it not congregation, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Don't miss what Paul continues to say in terms of living in the spirit. Against such things, there is no law. So is your heart, is your soul being touched? Being touched this morning, each moment of the day with the bread of life? Is your heart swollen with the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit? Are you a salty Christian? I am not trying to be corny here. The language that accompanies the Levitical sacrificial system pointing us to Christ has profound religious importance to each of our hearts 
and souls. The reference, the salt of the covenant says to each of us this morning that our triune God is present and touching, touching our lives and our hearts in continual action that does not stop. Preserving your life, your life of faith in Christ For the day of Christ's glory. Union with Christ your Savior is a life-giving experience in which the presence, the presence of Christ's Spirit and your heart is united. Oh yes, as Christ says, Salt is good. That salt is alive in every believer. So believer, let the salt of the covenant in you be shown to each other. May the peace of Christ and his spirit Season your life. Season your life as you present your life, as Paul says, as a living sacrifice unto the service of Jesus Christ. Yes, let our hands, our feet, our eyes live in peace with one another. How wonderful it is to be a salty Christian.